0: How's everybody doing? Good, 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 good. All right, so feel free to jump in anytime. Uh I, I hope, was hoping that we have kind of a good mix of like slides and things like that and as well as like discussion I, and there's uh, people on Zoom too so maybe like if somebody can watch the chat and and see if there's any uh, uh, comments that come through. Uh, we have the I did send out the worksheet uh, on a separate message to the people who are usually attending the Bible studies. So we'll try to maybe hit a few of these questions, but depends on how the time goes and the discussion goes. We're starting on time, 7.33, so that's pretty good. Uh, we'll try to go uh, as much as we can, and uh, but definitely, definitely we'll have a hard stop at 8.30. So in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. Um, This week's Bible study is James chapter 3, verse 13, all the way to uh, chapter 4, verse 10. So we're going to cross over into a new chapter today, God willing. But just as a reminder, uh, Makar uh, talked to us last time about uh, the, the first part of chapter 3, and the first chap- part of chapter three, does anybody remember kind of what it was about? Besides Makar. <laughs> huh? The tongue, exactly, the tongue. So, and it starts off with like, don't let um, all of you uh, be teachers, um, because then there's a heavier burden, there has a bigger judgment. Uh, there's a danger of the tongue, and uh, all of it goes through to, uh, he ended at verse 12, and a lot of it is about the tongue. But um, even this part, the the last part of chapter 3, hits on the tongue a little bit. And I'll explain that in a second. It's not very obvious, but it connects the tongue to the rest of the chapter. Um, So the very first verse in our section answers this very important question. St. James says, how is true wisdom and understanding revealed in a person? So if you are wise and you are understanding, what should people see?" And this is actually the very first, uh, sorry, the second question um, on the um, the worksheet, if you're following in the worksheet. Um, and this is straight from the text of St. James. So if you're following in your Bibles, if you have your app open, the very first uh, verse for today, uh, St. James asks a rhetorical question and then he answers it. He says, who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show this wisdom, this understanding, by blank, 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 blank. And that's the question. What are those blank, 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 blanks? So the two blanks, the two things that show the wisdom and understanding are good conduct and works that are done in meekness and humility. So there's good conduct, there's good actions, there's good works. And these good works are done in a spirit of humility and wisdom. If we go back to the Greek, the Greek for good conduct means uh, the word is uh, uh, anastrophe, which is translated conversation. So it's not just works, but it is also conversation. So let your conversation be done in the spirit of meekness. And, and this spirit of meekness that shows in your good conduct really reveals the wisdom and the understanding that you have. So they kind of all build upon each other. And this is, this is what ties it into the rest of chapter 3 in terms of talking about the tongue. Because this good conduct is really good conversation. Let your conversation be peppered with wisdom, understanding, not just idle talking or boastful talking or prideful talking. And he was saying this in kind of rebuking of the Pharisees who thought of themselves highly by being teachers and, and uh, the elders, and but they weren't really doing the things that they were teaching. Um. In Daniel chapter 12, it says, Those who are wise shall shine. So the wisdom that you have, it it, it will come through. It will shine. Like the brightness of the firmament. And those who turn away to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. So those who want to be righteous, those who turn to righteousness, they will be like the stars and they will shine forth. So this wisdom... The, uh, the, uh, is, um, that is from heaven or from God Is going to shine through in everything you do And everything you say and, and As long as you have this meekness Next section is, If you're following along in your Bibles Is 14 to 17 And we'll take it as kind of a bulk And in this section We'll read it together But I want you in your mind's eye Or even if in paper And if you did the questions It actually makes you isolate them There is this talk about wisdom and this talk about wisdom um, splits wisdom into worldly wisdom and um, and heavenly wisdom. So as we read this text, try to see what he's talking about in terms of what's earthly wisdom and what's heavenly wisdom. He starts out by saying, but if you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your heart, do not boast and lie against the truth. So examine yourself, see what's inside you. If you find this This disease of envy or this disease of seeking only yourself, then stop it there. Do not lie or boast against the truth. And then he says, this wisdom does not descend from above. It is earthly, sensual, and demonic. So this kind of envy and self-seeking belongs into the worldly wisdom category. And where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and evil things are there. So one of the, the the big themes for this section that we're going to be covering today um, is quarreling and fights and peacemaking and having peace in the family or in the church or in our in wherever our life is. And by delineating this worldly wisdom and this uh, uh, heavenly wisdom, he kind of helps us to find the cause in quarrels. We'll continue and hopefully you'll, you'll get the picture. Um but the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruit without partiality and without hypocrisy. So I like organizing things. This is the kind of obsessive compulsive part. So I made a table and I put all the heavenly wisdom parts on the other side and then the earthly wisdom and the not so heavenly wisdom on the other side. And this is basically a summary. Of that section that we just read those four verses and and this is your chance to chime in in a second is the question was how do these different attributes of wisdoms affect us in our peacemaking or our, in our quarreling can we in our mind say that these attributes On the uh, on the right of the table, cause conflict, and these attributes on the left cause peace. Can can people elaborate on that? Can you can you can you tell me how those one side may be a peacemaker and one side could be a uh, a peacebreaker? You guys, anybody want to elaborate?
1: Yes. Um, uh, I'm just a little confused on verse um, starting at verse 14.
0: Um,
1: but if you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your hearts, do not boast and lie against the truth. What are we referring to here? Like, what, what is the truth? And like, is it only regarding that, or is it just and and always feeling envy and self-seeking, or Like I'm, I'm just confused at what we're referring to or what conversation is being had.
0: I think the way we understand this is that there is a certain way and a certain truth that is from God. So there's a way, there's a certain path from God. There's a certain right from God, and if if we have self-seeking and we have envy, then this is not the truth. This is not the right path. This is not the righteous way. But this is a lie that we are ex- allowing ourselves to expect. And what kind of situation? It could be in anything. So if, like I say I, uh, I want something for myself, and I'm seeking this for myself only, and this is not the way that God wants it for me, then this is a lie, and this is not the truth. Does that make sense? And if I have envy in my heart, that means I, I see my brother successful, and he's doing great, and he's happy, but this causes me to like, be jealous of him and have envy of him and not be happy for him, then this is a lie that exists in my heart, and this is, a, uh, th- this is not the truth that should exist in my heart. Does that make sense? Okay, so um, the heavenly side is is with the heavenly wisdom, the wisdom from God, the truth from God. So wisdom is really not just a set of knowledge, but wisdom is having kind of like the understanding of God. Or the wisdom of God is, is having the mind of God, the mind of Christ. So the mind of Christ or the mind of God is all the things on the left. It's meek, it's humble, it's pure. It's not defiled by... You know, bad thoughts, evil thoughts, envious thoughts. It's peaceable. It wants to make peace with everyone. It's gentle. It's, uh, it's willing to yield. So it's not always insisting on its own way. So like uh, St. Paul describes in, in the love chapter, it's willing to yield. It's full of mercy, has good fruits without partiality and without hypocrisy. This is the, the heavenly wisdom. This is God's way. This is God's mind. This is God's thinking. And then my own thinking, the not so heavenly, the earthly, is envy, self-seeking, earthly, sensual. So sensual is like things that have to do with the senses, things that are, you know, are not necessarily like spiritual, demonic, and they cause confusion. Can, can somebody like give me an example of how th- something like this can cause fights?
1: Um, yeah, I actually, like, the, li- the list on the left, for me, it's, like, the most obvious list of things you need to do to not, like, to resolve conflict. Like, for example, and this is just me um, thinking to, like, therapy stuff, like, willing to yield. Um, uh, Dr. John Gottman talks about being willing to accept influence from your spouse, and he says that, like, if you can't accept influence from your spouse – then that's a very high, a very clear indicator that your marriage is probably not going to succeed. So, um, but that of course applies to many other relationships. So being willing, like sometimes we go into conversations like we're gonna we're gonna assert our position, without also having like there might be a chance that I should yield in this time. Like we're not open, we don't have that as a possibility when we're entering into conversations. Um, but every single one of these things is—it's like the the duh list of, you know,
0: how to uh, manage conflict well. Anything? Anybody want to add to that, Monica?
2: Um, when I see self-seeking, I feel like that's the one that leads to fights. I heard once that, actually, also in the context of marriage, but it doesn't have to be in the context of marriage. That all fights are, like, boil down to pride. Um, and so if you're not willing to, you know, let that person have favor, like if you're just willing to not get your point across and just listen, for example, then the fight will, will dissipate.
0: Excellent. Excellent. Um, so John Chrysostom likens it to, um, having filth on your eyes. So like dirt on your eyes. So when we are like self-seeking, envious, uh, he gives it in the context of like making money and just grinding towards that and just thinking about that or hearing about that or discussing only that. It's like filth on the soul. And he says like, just you wash your eyes from the muck uh, when you wash your face in the morning it's like your soul also needs this cleansing on the inside from the worldly cares and the worldly concerns and just the the day-to-day grind of, of seeking more and wanting more and trying to obtain more. Everybody okay so far? Okay. Uh, we're leaving that section. We're going into a new, a new section. Now the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who... Who make peace? So there are people who seek to do what's right, and that seeking to do what's right it makes peace. Um, and I, I kind of imagine that we're like farmers, and at any point we're sowing some things, either seeds for good or seeds for not good. So those who are seeking to do righteousness, they're they're always seek, uh, sowing. The seeds of peace, rather than the seeds of conflict uh, and um, and fighting. So, as our is in our role as parents, in our role as husbands, our wives, sisters, brothers, service servants, we always need to be sowing this um, this seed of uh, of peace. There. Um, there was a story, uh, I don't know if you read it in the S- Silent Patriarch, but there, uh, uh, at one point, Pope Carlos was in um, uh, in his kind of in hermitage uh, outside of the Baramos Monastery, and he was coming down during this time, which is like right around Holy Week. And as soon as he went down to the monastery, he found that there was a big commotion. And um, there was about seven monks that were... About to be kicked out of the monastery, and it was like Palm Sunday or something like that. Um, and so he went and he tried to intercede with the abbot. Nobody would have it. The and then also the 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 other uh, uh, administrator there. Nobody would have it. And they literally kicked out those seven monks outside. So he took this opportunity. He wasn't comfortable with this. He wasn't happy with the situation. He tried to make. Piece of the situation. He tried to resolve it. Um, And when he couldn't resolve it, he decided to, the best he can think he can do is he actually exiled himself with those seven monks and he took them to Cairo in order to try to meet with the the patriarch. Um, And he stayed with them there until the patriarch called for him and even the head of the the monastery came. Um, And uh, um, they, they brought him in. They were very upset at him. Uh, The the whole situation didn't end up um, Like in in the favor of the monks Or anything like that They found another solution But the point is that Pope Carlos when he saw a situation That wasn't right He tried to resolve it And to create peace Among all the groups that were uh, warring So he was sowing seeds of of this peace Um, And this is hopefully what we try to do in our life as well, is if we see a wrong, then we try to uh, resolve it. Um, this, uh, so, in this example, was Pope Corollos, as a peacemaker, loved or appreciated? No, right? So, And this is the point. The point is that as peacemakers, we may not always be appreciated or loved. So the patriarch himself brought him into questioning. The abbot of the monastery, you know, was upset at him. They tried to cast, they cast him out, and they didn't want to, anything to do with him. And this is this is unfortunately the position that a peacemaker will find themselves in. So Moses, for example, when he when he tried to pull the two Egyptians that were fighting, he says, I mean, the two Jews that were fighting, he said, "What you want to kill me like you killed the Egyptian yesterday?" So he was trying to make peace and his heart was in the right position, but it's not going it, to go well. So if we, are, if we are a cause of peace in the world, we're going to have pushback and we're going to have trouble. But this is uh, something that we can expect. Um, Christ himself says, blessed are the peacemakers for they shall be called sons of God. Sons and daughters of God are the peacemakers. So this is a big label. So if I go and I try to make peace in a situation, then I have this title. I can put it on my on, on my shirt here: "Son of God, Daughter of God." And this is the the um, the work that Christ Himself did with us. He is He tried to reconcile us with the Father. He made peace with the heavenly and the earthly. Um, I was attending uh, one uh, class, like a. a as this, kind of a seminary-type class. And the, the instructor asked us what's one question. If you had to boil down the job of a priest in one word, what would it be? You guys ever thought about it? One word. Close. Reconciler. Reconciler. So the priest, my, our, our role is we reconcile the people with God. We bow to God and say please accept the prayers of the people. And we bow to the people say please if we have sinned against you forgive us because we want to make the reconciliation complete and perfect. People are separated from God they come and they confess that's to be reconciled with God. God wants to reach out to the people he gives the the priest messages or or uh, or things for the people. So this is the If this is the job of the the servants of God, it's not just limited to the priest, but this is when you serve in Sunday school, when you serve in a rabbi, when you serve in in anything, you are an ambassador of Christ. You are are a peacemaker for Christ. You are uh, a a reconciler for God. People have to see God in us, and we have to represent uh, God to them. Uh, I like this quote very much from origin. Origin says, "You shall rejoice in the morning, that is in the world to come. So in the morning that's the heavenly morning, the, the eternal morning, the earth, the, the heaven to come. You shall rejoice in the morning if, and here's the big if, if you have gathered the fruits of righteousness by weeping and laboring in this world. What is he talking about? This quote is in reference, Reconciling and peacemaking. So if you labor to reconcile the people with God, if you rec- if you labor to reconcile one one another to each other, then you will reap you will rejoice in the morning. You will re- you reap this fruit. Okay. Um, so this is the end of chapter three. Uh, it's a continuation. Basically, the main themes were the tongue, and then the tongue. To be have a good tongue, you have to have good wisdom, the heavenly wisdom, and this heavenly wisdom leads you to in this path of peace and being a peacemaker. Those are the three thing, three themes: the tongue, wisdom, peacemaking. We're good with all those, okay? Um, any comments, questions? Okay. So, ch- chapter four. Um, he continues a little bit more about this peacemaking. And he, he asks a, a question again. Where do wars and fights come from among you? Do they not come from your desires for pleasures that war in your members? So he gives that question and then he the, the answer. So like we said, fights come because of our own selfishness, our old self-seeking, and specifically our desires for pleasure. So... Saturday morning comes, and it's been a long week, we've all worked hard, and one spouse wants to sleep, and the other spouse has like a laundry list of things for the spouse to do. So it's, I don't know if it's considered pleasure or not, or needs, but it's a conflict, right? Right? There's a set of needs. One wants to rest. The other one wants a set of things that needs to get done, and they're practical things. The laundry has to get done. The shopping has to be done. This, this, and this. And there's expectations. So then there's this conflict. There's pull and tug and pull. So uh, it's not necessarily pleasures, um, but it's there's all these these tensions that come from within us. I really like the the idea. that is in this next set of quotes um, we think of conflict as something from outside i'm annoyed be, uh, or I have a conflict with some someone because of something exterior to me that this person has done to me would you guys agree with that so yeah so i'm up, i'm upset at say kiko because Kiko did a b and c Thank you, Kiku, you just came in at the right time. <laughs> um, but in reality, what the, 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 the gospel is say, or the, the epistle is saying and what the fathers are saying is that really it's something inside of me that's causing these issues. It's my desire for, for, a, certain, for a certain something. We'll call it pleasure for now. My Two of my kids were fighting recently. And pull him apart. Say, why are you guys fighting? He's annoying me. Very common response, right? And and ask the other one. He's like, why are you annoying your brother? Well, he doesn't want to give me the doodad, that thing. So, very common. So, what are they both doing? They're pointing to something that's happening external to them. But if we... Are honest with ourselves. If they had insight, and we sit them down, it's like, okay, why do you, do you want that? How was, why is it important? How could you work this out? All this stuff. What, what are we trying to 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 tell them? We're trying to get them to see what's going inside of them, and to express it in a way that is in a different way. And this is exactly what the 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 Saint James and the Fathers are telling us. Let me let me let me tell you. Um, Amba Biman says wars and fights stem not from others not from something outside us not external annoying us just like what my voice said but from the weakness of the inner man and his defect in the inner war hold on to that for a second let's keep going when the building is shaken and falls when I get angry when I get upset because I'm not getting my way the sh- my building I'm shaking and falling. It's not only because of the strong wind that's coming, but it's because there is no strong foundation. There is no strong foundation. If I'm centered, if I said my prayers that morning, if I read my Bible that morning, my foundation is much deeper and much straighter and much firmer that day than the previous day or the next day, and I can probably take a lot more wind. You following? So if my 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 core is good then I'm not going to have as many conflicts with others. Why? Because the foundation is strong. How do I avoid conflict? Strengthen my foundation. I, I I everything is is deeper and and my and I have the peace that I that to fight for that day. It's not the only thoughts of of Abuna Tedros in his book, he says, the sources of fights is one, surrender to the ego. Surrendering to my ego. What's my ego telling me? This is your, this is your right. You have to do this. You have to stand up for this. You, how could you let them walk over you like this? This is the ego. But if, my, if I'm fighting my ego and strengthening my, my, uh, my foundation by, by denying the self then then i'm not going to have the conflict does that make sense questions comments so the fight is not necessarily with kiko but the fight is with my ego right i'm demanding what i'm demanding because of my own ego Saint John Chrysostom says that another way. He says no one can harm you unless you harm yourself. No one can harm you unless you harm yourself. If you do not sin, there will be tens of thousands of swords which will be, will which will threaten you, but God will pull you so that he won't come near you. Okay? All along the same ideas. Okay. So this is the first question. Why are fights happening? Why are wars happening around us? Then he goes in, you lost and you do not have. So this is another reason that we have fights and we have conflicts. We want certain things and we don't have them. So this causes anxiety and this is fights. Well, how come we can't get that thing or that whatever? Uh, And then I have a conflict about that with whoever is involved in this situation. Um, it's likened to a mirage. So imagine with me that we are going through a desert, and we think the city with the lights and the end of our destination through the desert is this way. Okay, but I look out the, uh, to to the east and I see the sun is reflecting on a pond uh, on the sand, and it looks like an oasis. So I think there is water there. I'm thirsty. I'm dying of thirst. So I go towards the oasis. And I get closer, nothing there. It's just the sand and the reflection, the mirage. Two things happened. I'm distracted. I'm in the desert. I'm going from wherever I am to my destination. So I I detoured. Now I don't know where I'm going anymore. And I'm even thirstier and worse off, more tired than before. So this is what happens when we lust and we don't have. We seek worldly things, more things. And um, and then we are distracted. You murder and covet and cannot obtain. You fight and war. So obviously nobody here has murdered anybody. Um, so the meaning of murder here is you hate. The one who murders first hates in his, uh, I'm not talking about, you know, uh, vehicular manslaughter or something like that. We're talking about like true, you know, murder, It's, it's it has hate. So we hate and we covet, and that's why we, uh, that causes wars, and that's why we don't obtain things. There's actual people who murdered, and the example from that is Jezebel and uh, uh, from Jezreel, who had her husband kill Nabat. Uh, their neighbor for the plot of land that's next to them okay and then so he says here yet you do not have because you do not ask um what does he mean by that does he mean like that if we ask for anything that god will give it to us like he's a he's like a cash machine like an, an, uh, or just a, a vending machine, we ask for something and he gives it to us? I don't think so. But it is true that he wants to give us out of his goodness. Um, imagine a son. If, you ha- if your kids, if, they, if you see a need in them, you give it to them. You ask for them. Um, Mark, our oldest son, um, has had the same tennis shoes on for the last year and a half, maybe two years. Yeah. They're bad. They're in bad shape. They're tattered. The soul is coming off. They, uh, they look like he's had them for 10 years and we like, we're trying to good, be good parents, right? So we told him, we, we gave him, we started giving him allowance from like they were five or six, something like that. No, oh, I don't remember. And we, we increased it every year. And at the beginning, they can do whatever they want with their allowance. They had to, like, tie 10%. They had to uh, save 10%, and then they can spend the rest. And as they got older, we didn't want them just to, to ruin, like, to just spend on, like, candy. So we said, as they got older, like teenage years, we said, okay, you have to one item that you buy every year. And we increased that as they got even older. So the first thing was, like, a seasonal item, like swim shorts. So they said, what, you know, you're responsible for your swim shorts every every year. No problem. Then as they got older, we said, okay, another item that you're responsible for out of your allowance is your shoes. One set of shoes every year, your tennis shoes. So Mark took this, and I don't want to spend the money. So he doesn't buy shoes. So he's worn these shoes forever, and they are he wears them every day. They're stinky. They're torn. They're ripped. And we want to get them shoes. It's not like we don't want to get him shoes. So... We've offered them many times. Can we get your shoes? No. Uh, I don't want shoes. But Mark, we'll pay for it. No. We'll pay for half. Well, so you can pay half? Nope. So I don't know exactly what's happening here, but <laughs> but the point is like, we're his parents. We want to give him whatever he wants, whatever he needs. So this is the sentiment, I think, of our Heavenly Father. He's not going to keep the shoes away from us. If we need something, he's going to give it to us. Okay. And I think this is the spirit of... You, you, you don't ask. Um, but there is right asking and there is not so right asking. And this is the next thing. I put it on there, so I remember to tell you. Uh, you ask and you do not receive because you ask amiss that you may spend it on your pleasures. So if Mark was going to ask us for like, you know, like, God forbid, like the prodigal son is like, give it to me so I can just go do whatever. I, would you think that's proper asking? No, right? But if He's asking for something that's good, then our hev- if we ask for something that's good, then our Heavenly Father is not going to keep it away from us. So what are some good things to ask for? Give us today our daily bread. Give us today our necessities. Give us our food from our table to our mouth. And it could be in a spiritual sense. Give us our, a spiritual meaning today. Give us a spiritual understanding. Give us a spiritual... It could be practical too. Give us today our daily blood. He'd give us our, our needs. He doesn't leave the birds hungry. He doesn't leave anybody uh, without what they, what they need. Forgive us our trespass. If we ask for spiritual things, wisdom he gives. Understanding he gives. Forgive us, he gives plenty. If we ask for spiritual things, He gives. Thy will be done. If we ask for His will, it will be done. If we ask for it, we say these things every day, but we don't really think about it. This is the right things to ask. What are some of the not so right things to ask? Abu Nasdros gives the idea, again, of the prodigal son. How hard is it for the father when the son asks gifts for him to run away from him? It's very hard for the father. To ask for gifts so that the son can run away, but he's in the prodigal son, he gave it to him, even though it's hard. And the bride who asks gifts from her fiance, the bridegroom, but does not want to see his face, give me that engagement ring. I don't want to see your face ever again. Does that make sense? No, right? So if we're asking to run away from God or to turn, because we we just want material things for, and it's going to make us forget God. No, that's not going to happen. Or it could happen, but that's not the right re- way to ask. Adulterers and adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? There was a quote that I passed by really quickly earlier. I'm going to try to go back to it really quick. It's from Amba Yusuf, and he basically says the same thing. He says that, um, gosh, sorry. The love of pleasure of the world is considered spiritual adultery because we are the bride of Christ. The love of the world, the love of the pleasures of the world is like we're committing adultery w- with God because we are worshiping, or we're following, or we're loving something besides our Christ. The same concept here he uses harsh words. He says Adulterers and adulterers, adulteresses. We'll get to it. Sorry about that. Adulterers and adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? It's a very clear cut. Like it's black and white. It doesn't, there's no gray. And I try to look for room for gray. I couldn't find it. There's no gray here at all. It's friendship with the world is enmity with God. Straight up. Any questions? It's, the, it, it's black or white. You're either the friend of God or friend of the world. So choose sides. Determine which way it's going to be. Since evil forms friendship with the world, this is the evil way. The evil way is friendship with the world. And virtue if, uh, forms friendship with God, they cannot coexist. Evil and, and virtue cannot coexist. Okay? In uh, the... Worksheet questions. One of the questions is, what do we need to have sincere prayer? And this is one of the things. We want to have enmity with the world, and we want to have friendship with God. And then our requests, our prayers, our supplications are in the right way, are in the right place. Okay? But if we have friendship with the world, and we ask, and we have prayers, not going to go far. St. Didymus the Blind, whoever loves the world by committing sin is revealed, as, uh, is revealed as an enemy of God. So just doing sin makes us an enemy of God. Just as on the other hand, one who affirms friendship with God by not sinning is a constant enemy of the world. Therefore, just as it is impossible to serve both God and mammon, the things of this world, so it is also impossible to be a friend of the world and of God at the same time. Same idea here in this quote as well. So we're gonna go to verse five if you're following. So this is chapter first, uh, chapter uh, four, verse five. Or oh, do you think that the Scripture says in vain, the Spirit who dwells in us yearns jealously? The Spirit that dwells in us, yearns jealously. What do you guys think this means? I've been talking a lot, so I'll I'll take a break and just hear from you guys. Anybody have an understanding here, a concept here? What does this mean? You can read the slide too, if you want. Anybody have any want to interpret this for us? Any thoughts?
2: that the Holy Spirit doesn't want us to share ourselves with the world mm-hmm.
0: so, God because he loves us very, very much, so if I love my wife and I do, then i I'm not jealous in a in a bad way, but i i I want to have her affection. I want have to ha- I want to have her love. I want to have that connection between us always. And God forbid, God forbid if she like, you know, wants to marry another man, I'm not going to feel very good about that, right? So that's the same relationship that God wants with us. He wants that exclusive love between us and him. And he built something in us that keeps that connection on fire or going. And we call that the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit that we receive and we get sealed with in chrismation, that we receive in us, that dwells in us, and we're asked not to quench, keeps me connected with the God who is jealous for me, who loves me and wants to stay connected with me, All the time. Okay? This is the the essence of what St. James is saying. Yes?
2: I would say also that since um, kids are baptized and they have the Holy Spirit at such a young age, that they also have that in them, that same spirit. And so... I think as parents, it's really important to recognize that, and to um, make it so that they can like live that out or like feed that.
0: We underestimate that so much. Yeah. We totally do. We we think that if we don't, you know, push them and and and. And prod them and and feed them like by force and do this and that that they're gonna walk away atheists and they're gonna not you know love God and but I think it's on the contrary I think they have the Holy Spirit in them and all we do is just like steer nudge gradually and we don't we don't have to it's not a force they have the Holy Spirit working in them and for us to to believe otherwise or to think otherwise that's that's not right that's not right. So the more we can foster that, what is the Holy Spirit saying to you? What is What, it, what, what do you think God is telling you? It's, they have it. They have it. You can see it in their innocence. They can see it in their smile. They can see it in their... They're just... They're, they're, they're blessed. They're very blessed. So, somebody had a hand. Um, that that quote by uh, St. Didymus,
1: for it's still like stuck with me like it's it's a difficult
0: quote it's a difficult quote like whoever loves the world by committing sin is revealed as an enemy of god like that's tough it's tough for me to swallow like i understand that some sins for example if i choose another god instead of god that, very clear i became an enemy of god but let's say for example i don't I honor my father and my mother as an example yanni just as an example I'm making myself as an enemy of God by committing sin. Obviously, St. Dynamis is not wrong, but I need trouble (laughs) understanding it and making sense of it because I never thought that every time I commit sin, oh, by choosing to commit this sin, I am choosing to become an enemy of God. I'll I'll ease your conscience a little bit. I I think it's uh, you know it's not the every like oh my goodness I made a mistake and like you know I frowned in, in this person's face or I just said a word that probably wasn't very nice or it's but I think it's the more committed sin the more habitual sin that I'm not that I'm refusing to give up that I'm not waking up from that I'm actually declaring my enmity with God by refusing to 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 wipe away that sin or wake up from that sin. But it's not like the oh my goodness I stumbled today, I just lost it. No, you're not an enemy of God in that sense. But if you live in sin or that there's a sin that's got a grip on you that you're not willing to fight, that you're not willing to give up, then this is enmity with God.
2: I'm with Kiko on this one. <laughs> <laughs>
0: That's totally good. That's fine. <laughs>
2: because St. Didymus is great. But um, I, I feel like this is not what, like, is, like, the Bible does not show us this of God the Father. Like, for example, the prodigal son. Like, he totally lived a sinful life. And um, and the Father, which is, you know, God the Father, was so loving to him so i agree with what you're saying abuna that it's like this commitment towards your sin and like not being repentant of it but this is harsh
0: <laughs> it's it's black and white like i couldn't i couldn't find a
1: yeah i, I think two things i mean i think sometimes the like the fathers used to speak like at the ends of the spectrum a lot just to make a, a, a clear point um but the other thing is that i mean I, I can see like in our relationships sometimes we do things towards people we love that we would do towards an enemy and um and someone that we don't like like i very often hear people say like you know what you know she said this to me so i did this just to like hurt her back to show her how much that hurt and and i'm like whoa dude that's kind of you know don't you think that's bad and then and then he says well you know she shouldn't have done that to me and, and once she did that, I lost it. I couldn't think anymore. I just did what I did. And and so it's not like in that moment uh, the, the person stopped loving the other person, but they also treated – they actually did treat the other person as they would an enemy. Like they, they intentionally hurt. And sometimes the other person knows that you did it intentionally, and that makes the hurt even, like, much, much worse. So um, – like, I'm not disagreeing with the points that are being made. I'm just adding something. Yeah. Can I say something else, Davuna, about the, the force point? Because I, I just want – it happened – you were making a point to Nancy about force, and sometimes oh, yeah. we force our kids. Um, just this morning, I, some article came across my phone about um, 17 stories of why people left the church. And uh, and I was reading through them, and so many of those reasons were because the people in the church were were forceful about like, you know, shoving the faith down someone's throat or being very, very critical about something. Like someone shared a story about, um, you know, her father um, like had to change jobs and the job required travel and he couldn't come to church on Sundays. And for many, many years, every time the young girl would go to church, she would get criticism for why her father loves work more than God. And so uh, she said, as soon as I could decide on my own, I just stopped going to church. And so I think, like it's. Uh, I just wanted to like
0: reiterate that. Yes, it's wonderful. Thank you. Okay, so we we have nine minutes left. I'm going to stop exactly at eight thirty. Um, let's pick up right where we left off. Hopefully, this is a very nice one. Uh, picks up right after uh, verse five. This is verse six. But he gives more grace. Therefore, he says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So, if we go back to five, there is the Holy Spirit yearning in us to be with God, and it's helping us, guiding us. And this is the continuation of that. The Holy Spirit gives grace to those who are laboring, those who are struggling, those who want to Deep in their relationship with God, but there is a little bit of a like a, a certain condition that person has to be in that allows the grace of God to work, and that condition is humility. So this, if if grace is trying to fill the person's heart or guide the person towards God, but there is pride, there is arrogance. That means resistance, and that means pushing back. So the grace is trying to work, trying to bring the person in that tight relationship with God. But the, on our end, we need this humility, this, this softness to be able to accept that grace. Um, St. Jerome, one who holds his head high in arrogance hates God. And this is another one of those sayings of the Father that is very forceful, very direct. And sometimes it's hard for us to kind of wrap our heads around it because of what we have been told in society. Hold your head up high. Walk with your head up held high. And, but I don't think this is, the, the, the spirit of this is not against that. I think this is, we, it's, it's the holding up your head high in like an arrogance in pride like nobody's as good as me nobody will ever walk this earth that is like as you know as as smart as i am as handsome as i am as beautiful as i am or whatever but and this is the pride that pushes the grace of of god but it's not about walking broken and head down and beaten and defeated no we are children of god and we are blessed and we we have His Holy Spirit and we have His grace, but this doesn't cause us arrogance. This doesn't cause us pride. This causes appreciation. This causes us feeling like we are we belong, and uh, and there's nothing to fear. But it doesn't push us to the extreme of arrogance. Okay, so far. Yeah. Uh, therefore, and this is these are some of my favorite verses. Therefore, submit to God, resist the devil, and He will flee. From you, A lot of times we have this idea that the devil is very strong, it's very powerful, and he's this mighty force that we have to overcome. But St. James is saying, resist the devil and he will flee to you. Like that. St. John Chrysostom says, the devil is like a little dog that is sitting at the table. And as long as you feed this dog, the dog will stay. When my sister's dog comes to our house... <laughs> Like she's climbing over our legs as we eat, just waiting for a a crumb or something to fall or us to feed something. And I love the the daisy, of course, but (laughs) if I keep feeding her, she's not going to go anywhere. She's going to stay here. And St. John Chrysostom is saying the same thing. The devil is like that. If you keep feeding him by doing what he wants, he'll stay. But if you just push him away, he's gone. So just resist the devil and he will flee from you. Submit to God first, and then and flee the the devil. Draw near to God, and He will draw near to you. Very easy. As we take one step towards God, He makes ten steps towards us. And and this is uh, this is very hopeful. And this we saw also in the Samaritan, uh, in the sorry the Samaritan in the um, in the prodigal son. As the son came, the father ran and he embraced. Also in Revelations, he says, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in. I'll come in. He's not, just take, open the door, take one step, and I'll come in, I'll sit down, I'll dine, we'll have a good time, we'll be, we'll be good. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, purify your hearts, you double-minded. We can't have double-mindedness. We need to decide. We're not enemies of God. We are His friends, and we... We go that way. That's not being double-minded. So this is a call for repentance. I like this. uh, uh, There's a quote here. Oops, I must have not put it in. Um, One of the fathers um, had a nice quote. And it had to deal with this idea of uh, repentance. And he was saying... um, that repentance is not an action, repentance is not a um, a, uh, a even an emotion. I feel bad for what I did, but he said repentance is a, 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 a he said it in a very nice way. It's like a he said it, he didn't say state of mind. He didn't. He said it. It's like a way of life. That's what it is. But uh, it's behavior and life. Repentance is not mere talk. Not mere feeling, not emotions, but behavior and life. This is this is what the church tries to sow in us. Is this um, this repentance is a is a life. It's a lifestyle. I'm always turning to my hearts toward God. I'm always returning to Him. I'm always uh, trying to fill myself with Him. La- last three minutes, I'll save them for comments, questions. What's on your mind?